Welcome to Beyond the Call, brought to you by Start Church. We hope you enjoy the upcoming podcast and hope this time is empowering, inspiring, and helpful as you pursue the dream God has put in your heart. The participants of this podcast are not attorneys, and this recording is not to be considered legal advice. Please contact your local attorney's office where needed. Enjoy today's podcast. Hey everyone, I'm Justin and welcome to Beyond the Call, the podcast in which we talk about topics that help churches and ministries protect what God has called them to lead. On today's episode, we'll be discussing the importance of having a benevolence policy and how you can create a benevolence program within your church or ministry. So joining us today, we've got Daniel Perez. He is our Vice President of Technology. Hey Justin, thank you very much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, awesome. Absolutely. So glad you could take some time to uh, to join us. So, uh, Daniel, uh, let, let's just kind of dive right in. So the word benevolence uh, is one that a lot of us are familiar with, but let's start off by defining uh, what it means in the world of ministry. Sure thing. So as you know, a lot of the things that we do here at Star Church, it's a broad, uh, broad scope, and benevolence is a big part of what every church ministry needs to be aware of and needs to have in place correctly. So when we think of benevolence, we tend to think of an act of kindness or the action of doing good. And as believers, we are called as Christ's followers to do good deeds. In Galatians 6.10, it says, So then, while we have the opportunity, let us do good to all people, and especially to those who are the, of the household of the faith. And Jesus himself commands us in Luke 6.35 to love our enemies and to do good without expecting anything in return. Now, churches and ministries are especially known for doing good to all people. It is part of their mission. It is part of their heart. There are times when doing a good thing or displaying acts of kindness is simply praying for someone or doing something that is absolutely free. And then there are times in which doing something requires money. Mm-hmm. like buying hot meals for the homeless or purchasing groceries for a family in need. Now, the IRS defines benevolence under Section 102, to get a little more specific, as a gift given from detached and disinterested generosity and also out of charity or like impulses. Okay. This current interpretation of benevolence allows the recipient to receive the benevolent or charitable gift tax-free. And in turn, the church does not have to issue the recipient a form 1099 miscellaneous. Okay, so that, that's a lot of uh, information you packed in right there. It's, it's a lot of good stuff. So we see uh, from what you were telling us, there's there's the biblical implications of what benevolence is and essentially uh, what it means to us as Christians and as the church, um, that we are to be benevolent and helping out uh, those in need, essentially loving our enemies and doing good without expecting anything in return. Uh, but I really liked how how you tied that in to even, you know, because we're dealing with compliance and tax issues um, at the same time with benevolence. And so you tied in, you know, how the how the IRS defines benevolence. Um, and, and it's important to understand how the IRS defines benevolence. Um, and, I, and I appreciate you tying that in um, and, and those two things together. So what I'd like is, you know, it's, can you take this a step further? You know, why should, you know, pastors and churches implement uh, benevolence policy within their organizations. Yes, absolutely. So let me uh, tie that in a little bit, uh, a little bit more, as as you say. But um, it is 
I'm going to get specific as to what the IRS uh, uh, considers uh, this to be, uh, specifically benevolence, which will, will lead us as to why it's important for us as pastors and as ministry leaders to have a good benevolence policy uh, in place. So the IRS, uh, they seem to have become more sensitive to the way that many churches run their benevolence programs. Uh, now, most churches, a lot of churches, uh, have had these programs. They may not even know that it's a benevolence program. Now, some people may know, of course, the term. It's pretty uh, normal to know um, what it means. But it, it, a lot of ministries and churches, they just help the needy. They help people in need at multiple different uh, um uh, stages in, in life, uh, many different ways, uh, like we mentioned earlier. But a large number of church benevolence programs do not meet the requirements of the Internal Revenue Code, which can create a situation that is borderline private enormment. Now, these are big terms, but it is important that we are aware of this as church, minis uh, church administrators and church leaders. Now, why is this? Because cash is being paid out directly to the recipient without any real policy to ensure objectivity. This is the key. In order to meet Section 4958 requirements, which is a section that speaks directly to this, which uh, deals with private enormment and excess benefit transactions, benevolence needs to be purely an act of kindness. However, guidelines should be taken to ensure that dependence is not created. Under Section 102, benevolence, when properly defined, is a non-taxable transaction. Now, if transactions are not properly classified according to a church policy, they may be treated as wages or payments for professional services. Now, this takes the whole benevolence uh, part out of, out of context. And again, all we need to do is be aware, have the proper uh, things in place, the proper policies in place, which is, we'll talk about how we solve this, but being aware and having good policies in place will prevent us from a lot of headaches in the future. That's, that's good. So real quick, I, I, don't, I don't mean to cut you off. So what you're saying is uh, benevolence is a, a non-taxable uh, transaction, but you know, when the church provides benevolence to an individual. However, uh, it sounds like what you're saying, I just want to make sure I'm clear, is that when when there's not necessarily a policy in place per se, um, that that particular transaction could become uh, taxable wages? Uh, is that to the organization, or is that ta those taxable wages to the individual receiving that benevolence? It is generally to the individual. Okay, the individual will be the one that because uh, as we. No, uh, or many of us know, churches are not considered taxable uh, institutions. Um, however, individuals that may be helped, they are the ones considered required to pay taxes, right? And so income and revenue and things uh, um, of value that they receive, monetary value that they receive throughout the year, they must be included in their tax returns, right? And so if we're not careful that when we provide this help in money, with monetary value, that we have the proper policies in place so that yes, they are not the ones responsible for uh, uh, paying taxes on these benefits. That's good, that's good to know because uh, it, it's, it's, it sounds like it's important not just to have a policy in place, to, uh, and I'm sure you'll probably delve into it a little bit later on, but kind of helping to structure how uh, benevolence is giving, but it also sounds like it protects the individuals receiving from the IRS per se saying, hey, this, you know, when there's not a policy in place, that's taxable income to you. Uh, so that's good to know as well that it's protecting those who, uh, you know, churches are trying to help as well. 
That is uh, that is correct. Now, um, going in a little bit more detail, when the church helps truly needy individuals, uh, and we do it according to a property uh, properly, excuse me, an objectively implemented policy, it is treated as benevolence. That is considered benevolence by uh, the full man uh, um, um, significance of the word, uh, which is never taxable to the recipient because it is considered a charitable program of the church. Now, what makes it a charitable program? It must be lined. Uh, um, it must be uh, delineated correctly in uh, in some sort of policy, which is what we're discussing here. Now, additionally, knowing the motivation behind your benevolence and what you will provide through your church's benevolence program is key. Now, this is why it's crucial to establish a benevolence policy that gives guidance and structure when implementing this benevolence program in, uh, in your church, not only, not only for yourself, but anyone that takes part in this, your volunteers, your staff, other team members, and even the people that are actually requesting help or that may need help uh, from this benevolence program. Awesome. Well, um, it's good to know, uh, you know why pastors... Uh, and ministry leaders should implement a, a benevolence policy. Um, can you talk us through once, you know, if a pastor is wanting to implement a benevolence policy, you know, what should be included within that policy? What is uh, what do pastors and ministry leaders and boards uh, who are trying to put this you know policy together? Uh, what do they need to consider to include within that? Yeah, of course. I'll give you six important details on this. Um, primarily, again, keeping in mind that these uh, benevolent donations will be to individuals and to families who have financial and physical needs and are without the resources to meet those needs. That is what we're trying to fulfill. That is a need that we're trying to fulfill. And to be clear, the benevolence policy doesn't have the uh, to detail every facet of how the fund will operate, but it should cover the who, what, when, where and how. Number one, who will be served? As I already mentioned, the purpose of the Benevolence Fund is to provide for the truly needy. So we must be very clear that there is a need that we're fulfilling. Number two, why will benevolence be provided? You can consider adding language that says something along the lines of benevolence will, will be provided to help alleviate the financial burdens of those truly facing need. This is where we're linking the call of the church to help uh, uh, the needy and the ability for us to provide financially uh, to, uh, or physically uh, if we're purchasing goods uh, needed um, in, in this program. Number three, what will be provided? Generally, financial and substantial assistance will be provided to those in need as the church has the resources available. That's important also to know. It's something that, be, that, that the church has available. Uh, number four, how will assistance be provided? Typically, most churches choose to add language that says uh, assistance will be provided through the Benevolence Fund, which is supported through donations from church members and the general public. Now, optionally, you can add language that says something like, though donors may recommend a use for the funds given, the ultimate distribution of the funds is up to the Benevolence Committee. And we'll discuss the Benevolence Committee uh, further ahead uh, in, a, in a few minutes. Um, however, we want to ensure that we maintain control and the ability to properly manage and decide how we will disperse these funds. The next question is, or the next detail, when will the assistance be provided? Be sure to include that assistance will be provided through requests made by the means established by the board of directors and or the benevolence committee. This must be uh, clearly established to make sure that we document these things correctly. So we check all our boxes. 
And then lastly, circumstances of ending the program. Sometimes, due to circumstances beyond the church's control, the benevolence fund may need to be suspended temporarily or even indefinitely. So we must include that and make sure that that is something uh, clearly defined in our document. Now, this policy should make provision for how the fund would be suspended and where funds in the benevolence account would go should a suspension ever become necessary. Now, this is pretty clear and this is pretty uh, um normal in fi uh, financial management, in funds management, but it is uh, important to be aware of that. Now, unless they are given away for benevolence needs, any remaining funds can simply be deposited back into the church's general operating fund. The policy may also stipulate if the benevolence funds will be given to the general public or if they will only be made available to church members. And finally, the policy should also state under what circumstances the fund will be closed. Well, that's a lot of good stuff um, to to really consider. Uh, I, I want to go back to one of the one of the details to consider. You know what will be provided. Uh, you, you mentioned financial and substantial assistance will be provided to those in need. Um, what what does that look like? You know, for churches and ministries, is that um, you know through a benevolence program? Is it only cash that's being given, um, or what does that look? You know, how would that what, what, what would be considered a financial and or substantial, um, you know, assistance that's being provided? Well, um, there are many different ways that you can do this. Uh, and again, the policy will provide that. But to, just to give examples, uh, some of the questions that you'll want to answer in order to know what you can provide is um, out of the needs that there are in your congregation or in uh, um, uh, the, the people that you're trying to serve, you want to identify which ones can you meet? Um, which ones can you not meet? Um, are there any other organizations in your community that can better meet some needs? Now, these are more practical questions, uh, but it'll lead us into uh, what they actually uh, uh, can be. And then will financial help alone solve every need that you encounter? So this can help us uh, uh, decide which uh, resources we want to provide uh, in this. Now, it's, of course, financial, specifically cash. Is giving cash okay? So as you operate the, this benevolence program, it's highly and strongly recommended that you do not provide physical cash or checks. Ideally, instead, pay for the financial needs of benevolence recipients on their behalf. Okay, so you can pay for their stuff. Ideally, you wouldn't want to just give them money. Right. You would want to cover that need if it's an electricity bill, if it is part of the rent, or hopefully, ideally, uh, if you have the funds, full rent. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, they're groceries. You buy them for them. Um, so you'd suggest if, uh, you know, a person came to, to the church and they were needing, you know, help with uh, their electric bill, um, you know, instead of just giving, you know, two or $300 or however much the electric bill is, you know, in cash or a check to the individual, you're, you're suggesting or saying, hey, churches should instead pay the bill directly to the power company. Or if they're needing groceries, instead of giving them the cash for groceries, uh, you know, buying them a gift card or taking them grocery shopping. Why, why is that? Why, why are you suggesting them do it that way rather than just giving them the money? The number one key this ensures accountability for the giver and the recipient of the funds. That's good. Uh, so, so now that we know and we have a good idea of what goes into a benevolence policy, can you talk to us about who qualifies for benevolence? And uh, is there anyone who doesn't qualify who would be considered disqualified from receiving benevolence? 
That's a great question, because indeed, there are people who do not qualify for benevolence. And I'll explain uh, this briefly. Number one, who qualifies for benevolence? Uh, and we take this directly from the IRS regulations, which state, quote, persons who are financially unable to care for themselves as a result of sudden and severe or overwhelming financial burden arising from events beyond their control are proper objects of charity because they are considered to be distressed, close, uh, end quote. Now, I want to um, mention something uh, that is pretty relevant right now with the times uh, mm -hmm. that we have, the pandemic, uh, different uh, events that have happened, um, the the uncertainty that this has caused in both the job market, really just uh, uh, livelihoods of people. Sure. Uh, this is going to really be uh, um, a, a need uh, that the, the will be, um, uh, the church will be called upon to to provide and to help in these times yeah no doubt um, but it is important for us to of course have the right things in place so in addition the tax regulations define needy as a person who lacks the necessities of life involving physical mental or emotional well-being as a result of poverty poverty or temporary distress now that we understand how the IRS defines benevolence and who qualifies for benevolence it's also important that you know who does not qualify for benevolence from your church um, this may come as a surprise to you, but not everyone is able to receive benevolence from your church. Let me explain. The treasury regulations, going back to the IRS uh, um, documents, detail all those who are considered disqualified persons. In essence, those who have substantial influence in your church, along with their family members, are disqualified from receiving benefits from the organization. So board members and their direct family members are ineligible to receive any financial benefits from your church, benevolence included. When a disqualified person receives benevolence from your church, it is known as an excess benefit transaction. Explaining a little bit more in detail, an excess benefit transaction occurs when a disqualified person receives any type of be uh, financial benefit or assistance that is in excess of the service that person provides to the organization. Now, according to Section 4958, disqualified persons may receive compensation in consideration of services rendered. So let's make that, 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 that um, separation very clear. It doesn't mean that a person that uh, serves on the board or works for the church or serves the church cannot be compensated. It just means that they cannot be compensated in excess of what they provide to the church. So they can receive compensation, which in, uh, is for a, a different um, conversation, which would go into their actual financial benefits, their wages, their payments, and there are benefits that they can receive as ministers, but that's a different conversation. But it does mean that they are not eligible to receive benevolence. So they can receive financial compensation that is reasonably based for a service they provide to the church. However, other than compensation for services rendered, disqualified persons may not receive financial assistance, benevolence included, from your church due to their position of considerable control and or influence within the church. I hope that's, uh, that's, that's clear. I know it's a lot of information, but um, it's an important point to make uh, that a lot of churches uh, usually uh, miss. Uh, yeah, that was, uh, a lot of information. I, I want to kind of go back. So just, you know, again, make, make, make sure I'm, uh, I've got some clarity on this. Uh, so what you're saying, um, yeah, for those who are qualified, uh, who qualify for benefits, essentially they have to be considered distressed, quote unquote, distressed. 
Uh, so, you know, like you mentioned and alluded to, you know, we're, we're going through the pandemic. Uh, millions of Americans have uh, recently become unemployed, um, you know, and, and so a lot of those individuals would be considered distress. And I imagine uh, that churches are, are going to probably start receiving an influx of benevolence requests, um, you know, if they haven't already, probably over the next few weeks or months. That is what we're expecting. That's correct. Yeah. And then so, but you're also saying that there are some individuals who do not qualify for benevolence. So, you know, you said a family member. So, if, you know, pastor's brother-in-law, uh, you know, got laid off of his job, um, you know, and need, they needed help. Unfortunately, because he's related to the pastor, he would, does not qualify for benevolence, correct? That is correct, because it, of the link uh, to the pastor. Gotcha. And, and so essentially what occurs, you know, you're saying that if the, the brother-in-law, you know, was to receive some benevolence, uh, then that would be taxable income to them? Is that correct? That's correct. Okay. If they were to if they were to receive this type of uh, financial uh, um, help, um, it is um, considered uh, outside of those eligible. Uh, and I can give you a list. I'll run through it right quick. Um, spouses, brothers and sisters by whole or half blood, spouses of brothers or sisters, ancestors, which is grandparents, great grandparents, and so forth, children, including legally adopted children, um, uh, are considered as related by blood. Um, and then spouses of children, grandchildren, and great-grandchildren. So anyone related to those who have uh, who can exert substantial uh, influence mm -hmm. uh, are included in this disqualification. All right, that's good to know, um, you know, providing some clarity. And I, I think we all have a, a pretty good understanding of who our family is and who we're related to and how they disqualify. But uh, I also want to go back. You mentioned that those who have substantial influence within the church uh, – how do you define substantial influence? Um, we can make it pretty clear now, but it, it would be a, a specific um, organization-based uh, um, uh, definition. However, a pretty clear uh, example would be uh, those in the governing body, uh, those that are... So like a board uh, member, trustee, something. Exactly. Okay. Officers, board members, trustees, um, now, it's in, important to understand uh, employees are not necessarily included in here. Okay. Uh, but that's... A, so uh, someone who's on staff, but they're not a part of the board of directors or whatnot. That's correct. Okay. Um, and so now there are additional considerations uh, that, that uh, I would suggest, you know, letting us know, uh, uh, give us a call and we'll, we'll uh, be more than happy to, to bring more, even more clarity to that. Um, but those are the people that um, exert substantial influence. Those that have the ability to guide and direct uh, the direction of the organization, the church, the ministry, uh, and have the, the authority to do so. Okay, awesome. So what are the, what are the consequences of uh, excess benefit transaction? We've heard this a few times. Um, you know, you've brought it up a few times in our in our conversation today and I'm I'm just curious and I'm sure some of our listeners are curious, you know, what what are the consequences? Yeah, of course. Uh, I, that's a that's a great question. Um and and thanks for for bringing that up because it'll bring uh, some clarity, but primarily uh it is it is important to understand that the consequences, they're really unintended consequences. If we don't know what we're uh, implementing here, it could have uh, negative consequences, significant negative consequences, including uh, uh, the IRS 
first of all, becoming involved in this because somebody's received, somebody who's not uh, um, uh, supposed to receive um, this type of, of uh, financial support is receiving it, which then becomes liable to penalties and fines. Not only those people receiving the donation or the benevolence, but also the, uh, the, the organization itself, the church or the ministry, and even going as far as those officers involved in approving and signing for these benevolence and benefits to be provided to those individuals. So there could be some personal liability as well. So That's to correct. the organization, to the church, as well as possibly, potentially some personal liability to the board members. Yes, that is correct. There could be all the way up to uh, personal liability uh, if this is done correctly. Wow. That's good to know. Um, so we know uh, who qualifies, who's not qualified. We know what should go in a policy. Now that, you know, once a church has that policy in place and they have this understanding, uh, talk us through how, how should they go about creating a benevolence program? Yeah, I'll give you four quick steps in order to establish this. Number one, create a benevolence committee. This is uh, the group of people that will be reviewing those needs presented to the church from those in need, and they'll determine the best course of action to meet those needs. Okay. Um, uh, ultimately, this committee will be responsible um, to the board of directors uh, as well. Um, now, if, you don't have, if you're unable to create a benevolence committee, then the board of directors can assume all these responsibilities. Number two, determine how your church will serve. You need to de determine the specific kinds of resources that we mentioned earlier. You want to go through a few questions to define what kind of resources will you provide. Uh, number three, establish and adopt a benevolence policy. Now, I think we've spoken about this uh, enough throughout this podcast, uh, but that is the, 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 the clear point to, to receive out of this, uh, this whole conversation. Um, and then lastly, create a benevolence application uh, and or request form okay. so that anyone that is interested or is in need, they have an official process to request this help. Now, we've been talking a lot about details and, and, and ins and outs of this benevolence program, but the great news is that, uh, and I'm very, very happy to share this, as VPF Technology, we are, uh, we've been working tirelessly in the past few weeks in order to, and really within the past few months, mm -hmm. to gather uh, the information, gather the resources that will help churches and ministries get that benevolence program started. We've, we're calling it Call to Care Suite. In this, you will have the resources uh, needed to learn how to qualify the need, establish a benevolence program, engage in counseling through benevolence, and so much more. You can purchase Call to Care today so you can establish your benevolence program and love and equip those in need. Go to calltocaresuite.com to find out more information and to access the resource. All right. Well, awesome, Daniel. Thank you so much. So, you know, we've we've gone through of, of what it takes to, you know, consider and, and creating a policy and, and implementing and, and kind of doing the legwork of building a benevolence program. Um, you know, so now that we've done all of the hard work of creating this program, you know, what's next? What, what should pastors and ministry leaders expect now? Like every time when you work to get uh, when you work on a project and you've put time and effort and you've worked hard with your team to put something together, you want to share it, right? You want to share it with the world. So this is the last step. You want to share and publicize your benevolence program. Once everything is in place, it is now time to get the word out about this program and really start helping people. 
really bringing it home so that you are in the clear, you are safe to, uh, to, to do so. So you'll just want to publish uh, in your church bulletin, on your website, or really in, in your, on your social media, any place where you share news about your ministry in order to make the members and the general public aware of your benevolence fund. Awesome. That's, that's some great stuff, Daniel. And, um, you know, <clears throat> thanks for, you know, so for taking some time uh, out of your day. I know that you and the tech team uh, here at Start Church have been uh, really busy putting this together and, and getting this ready to, uh, to go live for our, uh, you know, pastors and ministry leaders across the country. Um, so thanks for taking some time out of, out of your day, um, talking with us through, you know, what benevolence is, you know, considering benevolence policy and a, be a benevolence program, uh, and empowering uh, pastors and ministry leaders out there to, to do this the right way and to have an effective uh, benevolence program in place. So thanks, uh, thanks for uh, joining us. Uh, it's been great. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, I'm very, very happy that we're uh, finally releasing Call to Care Suite. I know that it's uh, the time uh, we, we, we really try to work hard on it and, and have the proper timing because people will need it. And we believe that this is the right time uh, to prepare, to put something together so that you can, uh, really anyone, any church can safely provide help and really be the body to those out there in need. Thank you. Awesome. Absolutely. And, and to all of our listeners and subscribers out there, thank you again for uh, taking some time out of your day uh, and listening. Um, if you have any questions about benevolence in your church or ministry, uh, you know, please feel free to give us a call. Uh, you can reach us at 844-641-5718. Uh, and then I also want to encourage you to uh, share this podcast with other pastor and ministry leader friends of yours uh, and encourage them to subscribe. Until next week, thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to Beyond the Call, brought to you by Start Church. If you have any questions about what you've heard today, please give us a call at 844-641-5718 or visit our website at startchurch.com. We hope you'll join us for the next episode of Start Church Beyond the Call. Start Church has helped thousands of churches and ministries protect what God has given them to lead. Check out our website at startchurch.com or feel free to call at 844-641-5718. We would be honored to serve you.